when our girls mess up, which happens on occasion, if you can believe it, Leslie and I normally have a series of, of steps that we take to address the problem. First, we let them know they messed up with a word or a look or a snap of the finger or a clap of the hand. Normally, one of those gets their attention. Then we'll walk over to them and we will address the issue right then and there. Oftentimes, we'll have them tell us what they did wrong because a lot of the times they know. And, uh, or, or we will just uh, tell them how they messed up. So we, we address the issue. After that, after addressing the offense, there's normally some sort of punishment that follows. And then we will give them some time alone to cry it out and to think about what they've done wrong. And then we will sit back down with them and reinforce what they should have done. We take time and explain to them how they should have responded. So we address the issue, we punish the offense, and we instruct them on how to act properly. Well, this has been Paul's approach as well in this book, the book of 1 Corinthians. This has been the way in which he has dealt with the Christians at Corinth all throughout this letter. He spends most of his time addressing the wrongs that they have committed because there's quite a few of them, right? And uh, we talked about these offenses over and over again, so I'm not going to go down the list. Once again, I've mentioned those more than a few times in this study. But he addresses what they did wrong. He addresses the offense. We also learned that the Christians at Corinth were punished for their behavior as well. For example, Paul verbally punishes them a few times, right? I mean, there are more than a few instances in this letter where, when uh, Paul hands out some, some severe verbal beatdowns. Now, it's done in love, but it's tough love, right? He also calls for the church to deal out punishment as well. In chapter 5, Paul calls for the leaders in the church to discipline their own. He also explains in this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 how God had punished them by striking them with, with illness and even death. So they had been punished to an extent for the wrongs that they had committed. And now, at the end of this book, beginning in chapter 15, verse 58, through the end of the book, through chapter 16, Paul takes time to reinforce what the proper behavior should be for faithful followers of Christ. At the end of chapter 15, Paul calls for the Christians at Corinth to stand firm in the faith and to abound in the work of the Lord. He calls for them to purposefully overdo it in their service to Christ. And in the first part of chapter 16, we looked at last week, Paul explains and illustrates what this looks like. And now in the last half of this chapter, toward the end of this book, Paul continues to reinforce what the proper behavior should be for faithful followers of Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 16. We are finishing our study in 1 Corinthians this morning. Can you believe it? We have been in this study for a year now. We started at the first of this book in, in last October, and from 
then until now, we have broken down this big letter chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We've taken a close look at this great book, and we've discussed a whole lot of topics, haven't we? We've talked about the importance of unity, the need for church discipline, how to handle disputes between believers. We've, talked, we've looked at uh, uh, passages to married folks, passages to single folks. We spent six weeks talking about Christian liberty. We spent a week talking about the Lord's Supper. We spent another five weeks talking about the spiritual gifts and four weeks on the resurrection. Two on Christ's past resurrection and two on the future resurrection of the godly. I mean, we have talked about a lot of things, haven't we? This book has taken us all sorts of places. And I hope and pray that this study has been as beneficial for you as it has been for me. You know, I chose this book for a reason. I believe this is a great book for any church to study because it's all about what life is supposed to be like in the church. That's Paul's main purpose for writing this letter, and that's why I believe he ends this letter the way that he does and why he closes out this book by explaining and illustrating what the proper behavior should be for a follower of of Christ. So this morning, we are going to end this study in that way. We are going to examine these characteristics so that we can have a better understanding of what it means to be a faithful and committed follower of Christ and a committed member of Christ's church. And there are quite a few points here, as you can see in your outline, all right? So hang with me. We're going to look at each of these briefly this morning. The first characteristic is this. Faithful followers of Christ, number one, are on guard. In the first part of verse 13, Paul says, be watchful, be alert. This is a key teaching in Christianity. In fact, the word translated alert or watchful is used over 20 times in the New Testament, and it is often used in reference to the Christian and the Christian life. And it literally means to be awake instead of asleep. And Paul is using the word here figuratively and spiritually, stressing the fact that spiritual alertness is the key to a healthy and wholesome Christian life. The Corinthians needed to wake up spiritually. We've mentioned that more than a few times, right? They were delusional. They thought they had arrived spiritually, even though the world around them was crumbling. They were in a spiritual stupor, believing they deserved honor and praise for their advancements in life and for their achievements in the faith, though their spiritual life was struggling and their church was in shambles. Though they thought they had things under control, they thought they were headed in the right direction. The church was filled with division and sexual immorality and drunkenness and heresy. They were a mess, yet they had no clue they were. And there are many believers today in this same boat, asleep at the wheel, in a spiritual stupor. Paul makes the point time and time again in the scriptures that believers need to wake up and keep a better, more careful watch over their spiritual lives. Believers, 
I truly believe that there are some here today in this boat. Listen, you may think that you're okay because you're in church each and every week and nodding your head in agreement to what's being said, but if you are laxed in your spiritual life, if you are asleep at the wheel when it comes to the state of things in your life spiritually, you need to take alarm. You need to be on guard. You need to wake up and man your post. You need to be keeping a careful and close watch on your spiritual life. You need to remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, where he warns the Christians at Corinth that anyone who thinks he stands better take heed lest he fall. We need to be on guard in this way. Remember the story I told of the little boy climbed up into the top bunk of his bunk bed one night to sleep and in the middle of the night he fell out when his father rushed in and said what happened the boy simply said I I guess I just fell asleep too close to where I got in some of you are like that little boy sleeping soundly on the verge of a big fall many of you are too comfortable and overconfident, convinced that you've got the Christian life all figured out. Paul warns us that when one, when one gets to this point, they better take alarm. They better wake up. They better keep watch or a fall is likely. Instead of sitting back and coasting, we need to always be striving, never satisfied, always pushing forward in our walk with Christ. May we have the mindset of the Apostle Paul who said in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's another characteristic of the Christian life mentioned by Paul here in this passage, and it's this. A faithful follower of Christ is firm in the faith. Paul says, stand firm in the faith. He makes the point here that a follower of Christ is to hold his or her ground. And a follower of Christ does not retreat when it comes to matters of the faith. Listen, there is a myth in our world today, and it's a myth that is as old as time. It's a myth that led Adam and Eve astray, and it's a myth that caused problem after problem in the early church, and it's a myth that's still plaguing us today, and it's the myth that says that the wisdom of the world is more reliable than the truths of Scripture. Recently watched a segment on Pierce Morgan tonight, and I don't normally watch Pierce Morgan, but uh, I watched it because he was interviewing Pastor Mark Driscoll. And as I was watching, as he was interviewing, he asked him this question. They were talking about some of the the more controversial teachings in Scripture. And Pierce said this. He told Mark Driscoll, he says, Don't you think it's time to bring the Bible into the modern age? In other words, don't you think it's time for Scripture to be improved upon? See, many in our world believe that the teachings of Scripture are what are holding us back as a society. Many think in order for us to better ourselves and the world around us, we are going to have to either move beyond these teachings or make improvements upon them. Believers, listen very closely here. That is the exact 
same lie our parents fell for. It's the same one the serpent tempted them with. He tempted them to doubt God's word, and they did so, and look at the state of things in our world as a result. What's ironic about worldly wisdom is that though people are honestly trying to offer helpful solutions to improve upon our society, some of the very answers they're providing are leading to our demise. It's true. Our lives and the world around us will never improve until we and others in the church, we believers, rise up and begin to live the life we were created to live. A life under the guidance and direction and under the rule and reign of our God and King. Our life and the world around us will never improve until we anchor ourselves in the truths found in this book. Circumstances in this world get tough. The world tells us to abandon these truths, the truths of Scripture, yet God tells us not to move an inch. He tells us to stand firm in the faith. The third characteristic of the faithful is this. Faithful followers of Christ show maturity. I love this. Paul says, act like men. He's speaking to the entire church here, and what he means here is be mature. He's calling for the Christians at Corinth to be mature. In chapter 3, he makes a similar appeal. Remember, we discussed that though many of the, the Corinthian believers had been saved for some time, for five years or more, when Paul wrote this book, there were many of them that had hardly matured as believers. Many of them were still acting like infants spiritually. So Paul writes to them to show them that their actions are abnormal. And he calls for them to act their age spiritually. How many of you have ever witnessed a child throwing a fit in public? Anybody? All of us, right? Yeah? When we do witness that, I mean, we don't think it's anything out of the norm, right? At times we'll stop and watch for a moment. Feel bad for the parent. Be glad it's not us, right? But that happens on occasion. And we understand that. But let me ask you this. You ever witnessed a 30-year-old do it? 30-year-old fall in the floor, kicking their legs. I mean, we might respond a bit differently if we saw that, right? If they were in their right mind. We might be a bit more bothered by that, a bit more disturbed by that kind of behavior because a 30-year-old should know better. That's Paul's point. When he's speaking to the Corinthians about Christian maturity, you see, many of them knew better. They have been trusting in Christ for years, yet they were still acting like newborns. That's why Paul says more than a few times in this book, somewhat unsympathetically, grow up, act your age, show yourself to be mature. Believers, are you acting your age spiritually? Maybe you've just been a Christian for a couple of years, or maybe you've been following Christ for 10 years or longer. Are you acting your age spiritually or do you need to grow up? Now some of you in here are thinking to yourself, well, I, I've been a believer for some time, but, but I, I'm not sure 
If I'm growing the way I'm supposed to. Well, let me ask you this. Have there been a, has there been a noticeable change in your life since the moment you first believed? Have your thoughts changed? Your actions changed? Your desires changed? Though none of us are perfect, and though we all need to mature, ask yourself if there have been areas in your life where you've made strides spiritually have you experienced some major impersonal victories in your life are you more mature right now than you were at this time last year or five years ago or when you first believed you should be don't just assume you are where you need to be spiritually but do a deep and a thorough examination of your life to see where you need to grow and mature. Paul continues by explaining that not only are faithful followers of Christ to be on guard and firm in the faith, and not only should they be acting their age spiritually, but they're also to rely upon the Lord for strength. Faithful followers of Christ need divine strength. Paul says, be strong. Now, this statement is passive in the Greek, and that's very important. That means Paul's not saying, you strengthen yourself. He's saying, be strengthened. Allow yourself to be strengthened. Strength is not something you give yourself, folks. Something you look to the Lord to provide. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 through 31, the Lord gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall fall exhausted. But they, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Believers, it is the Lord who gives strength. The faithful realize this. They don't look to themselves and trust in their own efforts and look to their own abilities. They trust in the Lord. They place their faith in Him. They rely upon Him for strength and boast in Him who gives it. We're going to skip verse 14. We'll revisit that at the last point. Skip down to verses 15 through 19. In this passage, Paul gives several more characteristics of the faithful here and here instead of stating them outright he illustrates them for his readers by describing the actions of faithful men and women who played key roles in the advancement of God's kingdom in the early church in verse 15 he illustrates that faithful followers of Christ are addicted to selfless service look at what Paul says verse 15 now I urge you brothers you know that the household of Stephanus were, were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Now, this is a great example that Paul gives the Christians at Corinth here. Because remember, the Christians at Corinth, they were all about themselves, weren't they? Remember, I explained to you that at the end of chapter 11, that when they gathered for communion, they were only interested in feeding themselves. People were literally going away hungry and thirsty because there were others in the church who were gluttons and drunkards. Also remember in the section on spiritual gifts that they had no interest in using their spiritual gifts to build up others. They exercised gifts to elevate themselves, to put the spotlight on them. 
And Paul, knowing this was true about the Christians at Corinth, reminds them of the example of Stephanus and his household, who were some of the first converts in that area of the world. Paul says of them, they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Now, I want to key in on that word devoted. You know that word literally means to be addicted? Isn't that interesting? I love that. While the Corinthians served only themselves, the household of Stephanus were addicted to serving others. What a contrast. Believers, where do you fall? Are you primarily self-involved when it comes to your spiritual life and when it comes to your involvement here at this church? Do you serve the Lord for selfish gain? Are you like the household of Stephanus who were hooked on serving others? Paul says a key characteristic of the godly is just that. Godly people are addicted to selflessly serving one another. There's another characteristic Paul mentions in this passage found in verse 16. He shows his readers that the faithful are submissive to the godly. Verse 16. Paul says, be subject to such as these, to every fellow worker and laborer. After giving the example of Stephanus and his household, Paul calls for the Christians at Corinth to submit to these types of people. Now, we've talked about this before, but our society doesn't like that word submit or subject, does it? Those are bad words in our society. Yet, it's, it's one thing that we're called to do throughout God's word. Believers, submission, being in in subject to others, is to be a a key component, a vital part of our Christian life. God's people are those types of people who are submissive to the right people. Believers are not to be those types of people fighting for the top spot, but those types of people who gladly and graciously and willingly place themselves underneath others. God's people are those types of people who look to solid representatives of the kingdom and say, I'm following that follower of Christ. I'm submitting to that kind of godly leadership. I'm making myself subject to that kind of example. And believers, you know what happens when you do this? When you follow the right kind of example, when you follow good, godly people, pretty soon you rise up and people begin to follow you. And pretty soon those people who follow you rise up and that's the way the church is built up. There's a seventh characteristic that Paul gives. He says the faithful are refreshing to others. Now let this point sink in. Look at verses 17 through 18. Paul says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Paul says another great thing about men like Stephanus and Fortunus and Achaicus is that they were a joy to be around. They were refreshing. Believers, isn't it great when God brings these types of people into your life? The kind of people that just lift your spirits just by their warm and caring presence. We should be that way, believers. We should. 
You ever been around someone who's the opposite? Don't name any names. But I'll tell you, I have. Some folks who when they just walk in the room, they just radiate this feeling of negativity. I've known of some folks who could enter the room and, and my spirits just drop just by them entering the room. Believers, that should not be said of us. We should be refreshing, not draining. We should be uplifting, not downers. We should also be hospitable and affectionate. Paul says in verses 19 through 20, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. What's neat about this verse is, is that you have believers sending greetings in the Lord to other believers that they've never met. There's just this openness that existed at this time between the early churches, and it's just encouraging. It's as if everybody's just saying hi to everybody in the family of God. And, and when they have believers from other areas come in, they invite them in, they welcome them with open arms. That's the way it should be. Now, being hospitable may not sound like a very big deal to you or a key characteristic of a Christian to you, but it's important to note that the Bible goes to great lengths to stress the importance of Christian hospitality. Believers, we should strive to be hospitable. We have families in our church who have opened their homes for Bible study, and that's, man, that's great. And I pray for more to do just that. Because our desire here is not for you to just once a week be staring at the backs of heads. We want you every now and again to turn your chair around, face one another, and study the Bible together, and fellowship together, and build one another up. That's key. The early church was also affectionate, greeting one another with a holy kiss. Is it ready for me to lay one on them? Anybody? <laughs> a kiss was customary greeting in those days. And uh, I'm not suggesting we do just that today. I mean, our, in our culture, that means something a bit different. But we need to look for ways to express our love and concern for others. There's one last characteristic mentioned by Paul in this passage, and it's stated back in verse 14, and it's also exampled by him at the end of this letter, and it's the characteristic of love. Paul explains to his readers that faithful followers of Christ make love a priority. Look at verse 14. Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. Now, we're not going to belabor this point because we spent an entire sermon on this in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's just reviewing, uh, revisiting what he's, what he's said there and what he said in chapter 14, verse 1. He makes it clear in these verses that if we don't do all things in love, we essentially don't do anything. Paul not only called for them to love one another, but he called for them to love their God and King. 
In verse 22, he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed, our Lord come. He's clear that that not only is a love for one another key, but a love for God is also essential. And is that not what Jesus told us as well? Remember when Jesus was asked what the greatest command was? He lumped two together. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, you keep these two commands and, and you'll keep all the rest. You've got it. And Paul echoes the words of Christ here in this book. And he not only taught this, Paul lived it. Paul was gifted in many ways. He had prophetic powers. He had the gift of languages. He had the gift of healing. He was a skilled pastor and teacher. But more importantly than all that, everything that he did was done in love. And he demonstrates this throughout this book by not quitting on this messy church. And he ends with this in this chapter. Skip down and look at what he says in his closing statements in verses 21 and in verses 23 through 24. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Verse 24, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now in verse 21, Paul lets us know that this letter has been written by a scribe. In those days, it was customary for a writer to dictate their letter through a scribe. But Paul makes the point here that in these last few verses, he has written it with his own hand. Now, why does he point this out here? I believe he does it to stress his love for them. See, Paul has had to address many issues in this church And he has had to be very stern with the Christians at Corinth at times. But he ends here with a great word on his love for them. He says in verse 23, the grace of the Lord be with you. Paul knew the Christians at Corinth were in need and he longed to see them grow in godliness. And here he expresses his desire for God to do a great work in them and continue to work in and through their lives individually and corporately as a church. And lastly, Paul ends this book with a unique and personal word to them. He says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen. You know, in Paul's 13 letters, This is the only one that ends with a statement of his love for his audience. It is. What makes this especially amazing is when you consider the audience. Though the Corinthians had issue after issue, Paul affirms his love for them. Despite their failings, despite their arrogance, despite their immorality, Paul loved them. His ministry was marked by love. And believers, our lives should be marked by love as well. Let me ask you this morning, how are you doing in this area of your life? How are you doing in the area of love? Are you praying that God would make you more loving? If you care about your life and the life you're living for God in the least bit, you must care about love. If you 
Take your spiritual life seriously in the least bit. You must take love seriously because Paul tells us time and time again in this book that love is supreme. As we close this book, I want to spend just a few moments revisiting some of the points I made at the very beginning of this study. If you remember when introducing this book, which I know all of you do, I shared with you my prayer for you. My prayer was that the Spirit of God, as we study through this book, that He would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to see where we have similarities with the church at Corinth. And I I was praying that we, I've been praying that we would see this book not just as a message from God through Paul to some church in the first century, but that we would see it as God's message through Paul to our church. And I've repeated that prayer many times since. And I hope today as we close out this study that as you, you think back on the issues that Paul has addressed in this book that has plagued this church in the first century, I pray that you have been struck with certain similarities that you have and that we have as a church with this messy church. And I hope that if you have not already, that you begin today to make strides and make changes where changes need to be made, that you would do like Paul say do in Ephesians 4, put off the old man and put on the new. That you would get back on track where you are off track spiritually so that you can be more of who God has created you to be and so that our church can be more of the church that God has created her to be. No, we've that this year we've spent together has not been in vain. I truly believe that the words that have gone out of my mouth from this book will not return empty but will accomplish the purpose it was supposed to accomplish and I've seen it already I've seen the Spirit of God at work in many of your lives using this this book to to show you where things are out of whack in your life and where you need to get on track and I, I I've seen and heard stories of many of you applying what Paul has been teaching here so I know that the Spirit of God is doing a work in this congregation but I also know this I also know as James explains in James 1 that there are some of you who have been confronted by these truths who will leave here today like you leave here each and every Sunday forgetting what's said because you refuse to take God's word and apply it to your lives listen if this is you it's time for this trend to end it is time for you to either put feet to your faith and begin living the life that God has called you to live or it's time for you to take a long hard look at your life to see if you're really trusting in Christ for salvation to see if you are truly a child of God listen followers of Christ by definition follow Christ it's that simple children of God Listen to their father and do what he says. Now, do we mess up? Sure. Are there times when we deliberately disobey? Yes, but Scripture is clear that God's people are those types of people who respond to him. 
God's people are those types of people who follow Him. If you leave, leave here each and every week unchanged, if this year in your life is no different than any other, if, there, if you are no more mature today than when you first believed, that's a problem. That's a reason for concern. Why? Because God's people are those types of people who follow Him and grow in godliness. You want to know where I find that in the Scriptures? Pick any book. From start to finish. It's a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. Maybe you're here this morning and God is doing a work in your heart and life right now, showing you for the first time that you first need to give your life to Him before you can start down the path of godly living. I urge you to make that decision right now before it's too late. If God is speaking to you this morning, listen. Don't delay. Turn from your sins. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Let's pray.